Good afternoon, Lafayette. A wet and starting to get chilly one out there, but we are in the middle of another exciting and busy news day. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. 232-1542 if you want to call and be part of the conversation, but... We already have a guest on the line, and that is Congressman Mike Johnson from Louisiana's 4th Congressional District. If I still lived back home, he would be my congressman, and I that would be such an honor. I, I, love, the, I love the area, born and raised there, and uh, Congressman, you've got a fantastic district. Hey, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you, and we do. You know, my district has 16 parishes, so we go from the Arkansas state line all the way down deep into Cajun country, and uh, best people in the world love to represent them. So there were some things I wanted to talk to you about. I had been talking back and forth with your office, but then just a little while ago, Joe Biden came out and said, you know, here's what we shot down over the weekend after the week before letting a Chinese spy balloon float across the entire continent before shooting it down. This weekend, they found three objects, blew them up, and it turns out they were private balloons, private research, commercial uh what what is going on, <laughs> Joe? You're asking the same question that all of us as members of Congress are asking. It is uh, just patently absurd that he says uh, his 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 latest statement. I mean, it's taken him this long to address the issue at all. When when all of the American people are desperate for answers on all of this, he says, "Well, they're most likely." balloons tied to private companies, recreation, and research institutions. Come on. Um, No one knows what to believe anymore. This White House plays fast and loose with the facts. Um, They they don't even tell members of Congress what's going on. We've had so-called, quote-unquote, classified briefings on the the first Chinese spy balloon over the last week, and they frankly don't tell us much in these closed settings any more than, than they tell CNN. So we really don't know. We have a lot more questions than we have answers, and that's very concerning to all of us. It really is. And, and from an administration that's claimed that it was the most transparent administration in history, we're, we're not getting any answers. And in the American public, I understand not everybody's going to have all the answers. Some things pertain to you know classified information and things like that. But they're not even telling y'all in Congress. They're not even giving y'all the behind the scenes stuff, the stuff that y'all need to know in order to make decisions on policy. And that seems like a pretty egregious problem. It's it's a, a huge problem. You know, I was out in the in the district uh, this week on, on on Monday, for example, had big town halls in Grant Parish and in St. Landry Parish and Opelousas there, and uh, had a big crowd of, of folks. And they have a lot of really important questions. You know, why did we allow a Chinese spy balloon that we apparently uh, knew about far in advance? Why did we allow it to come? over the Aleutian Islands of Alaska, right into the continental U.S., and float slowly over some of our most sensitive and important military installations and, uh, you know, stockpiles of of food and, and, you know, sensitive areas, uh, and just allow it to go across the country like that. Why in the world would the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, allow that to happen? We finally shot it down over the beach in South Carolina, but the damage had been done, and all of us suspect, of course, I mean, the average American citizen looks at this and says, well, China is an adversary. They're they're almost a peer-to-peer adversary with us. We've not had one of those since World War II. This is dangerous stuff. It's very serious business. And it doesn't seem that the White House is is viewing it that way, handling it that way. And it raises lots and lots of questions and concerns. Well, it, it obviously, 
it, it, it seems very much that the administration's priorities are kind of screwed up right now. And I think one of the the biggest examples of that is our intelligence community is more focused on Americans, particularly right of center Americans, and less focused on adversaries at home and abroad. Uh, and I know that now we've got this weaponization uh, subcommittee uh, investigating a lot of this, and and I know that you're a part of that. Tell me, uh, what are you what what are y'all kind of getting into now? What are you looking through? I know you've just had a, a, your first hearing. What what can we expect to learn from the investigations that y'all are y'all are doing? Well, this is more serious business. You know, we we created this select committee on the weaponization of the federal government, and Democrats howled immediately and said that's hyperbolic. That's you know, weaponization is a loaded word. You guys are doing this for political purposes. We we simply are not, uh, you know, as charged. Okay, the weaponization is the right word because there is no other word to describe what has been happening in earnest over the last two years. Some of the federal agencies, the very agencies that are designed to serve and, and protect the American citizens have been used against them. At least certain citizens, those with different political views than the White House and, and conservatives in particular. And we know this is true because we have whistleblowers coming forward from these agencies, from the FBI itself. We know that they, they targeted concerned parents who showed up at school board meetings to express their concerns about their kids' curricula and mass mandates and the rest. We know that they just the, the most recent in the last week, uh, we we got word that uh, they've targeted conservative Catholics. The the FBI's uh, field office in Richmond, Virginia, published an official document that linked quote racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists unquote with quote radical traditionalist Catholics. So let me let me put this in layman's terms. If you believe in the sanctity of human life, if you believe in traditional values and the values of the church. It, in, in at least the minds of some in leadership at the FBI, you're the equivalent of a violent extremist. You're dangerous to your country. I mean, this has gotten out of control. And so targeting, using federal agencies to target political po- opponents and viewpoints you disagree with is not what the Department of Justice is supposed to be involved in. And th- this kind of activity is going on across all kinds of agencies, and that's what we are charged to investigate and, uh, and to ensure this never happens again. And it's not like any of this is new, because I remember very distinctly during the Obama years, the IRS scandal and them targeting uh, certain organizations for their political views, particularly right of center uh, political organizations. But it seems like it is this has just grown exponentially between the Obama years and now into the Biden years. That's exactly what's happened. And you're right. Everybody remembers the IRS targeting conservative nonprofits for ill-treatment and the rest. Well, well, now it's metastasized, and it's in all these different agencies. And we know about, for example, the FBI colluding with big tech uh, in, in the last election cycle and, and in days before and since uh, to, to censor and deplatform conservatives who have conservative viewpoints. We know that the Department of Homeland Security uh, actually created the Orwellian Dis- disinformation governance board, they called it, right? They wanted to literally go out and officially censor and silence conservative voices. We, The ATF is making lists of law-abiding citizens who, who merely want to be gun owners. We know that uh, the, the CDC and the, uh, the NIH are, are used COVID uh, for an excuse to impose these unconstitutional mandates and you know, push out all this propaganda and track, track people, create files on Americans who didn't want to take the vaccine. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And frankly, Joe, our challenge is 
this is such a target-rich environment in which we're supposed to be investigating. Uh, we, we, our challenge is to is to focus. You know, we've got so much to look into, and we only have two years to do it. And so you'll see this laid out methodically and gradually uh, in, in the months ahead of us. I think probably one of the worst examples of this. Uh, you you mentioned the sanctity of life. You mentioned the uh, the memo about uh, Catholic extremism. But we've also had this instance of a domestic terror group that has been firebombing and vandalizing pro-life pregnancy centers. And the, mm-hmm. DOJ, the DOJ did nothing about that. But for anybody who is praying outside of an abortion clinic, they got arrested and they got the full Department of Justice treatment. Exactly. Exactly. And in fact, when, when we took over control of the Congress, again, at least the House, uh, when the Republican majority began the new Congress uh, last month, the third bill that we passed off the floor, down straight down party line vote, uh, was uh, was was my legislation, and that was to finally finally condemn the actions of these violent violent radical leftists who were firebombing crisis pregnancy centers and churches, and you know throwing Molotov cocktails into their buildings and and um, and, and defacing them and all the rest and. And until we passed that resolution, the FBI and the Department of Justice at a federal level had not done a single thing to any of the. There was over a hundred cases of this just in recent months, and they just looked the other way. They didn't investigate them or bring anybody to justice. So a few days later, about six days after we passed that resolution, finally the FBI issued a, a press release and said they were offering cash rewards for information leading to the arrest or prosecution of the people involved. But it, it took a literal act of Congress to force the hand of the FBI and, and the Department of Justice to do the right thing. I mean, it's just, it really is surreal what's happening right now. And, and people are losing their faith in our institutions. They're losing their, their faith in the Department of Justice itself, in our system of justice. And that is a very, very dangerous prospect in a, in a, in a constitutional republic like ours. And, I, you know, that lack of faith in our institutions, I think, is an actual crisis in, in our country. I mean, it's no secret yeah. that, that Congress does not have a very high approval rating itself, and I know that part mm-hmm. of the Republican Party's job being in charge of the House now is to try to earn the trust of the American public, along with the Subcommittee on, on Weaponization, these other investigations into uh, President Biden and the ties to the laptop and the Hunter Biden businesses and everything. What are some things that the Republican Party kind of needs to do to regain the faith of the American public? Well, the the biggest task ahead of us is to, you know, investigate all of these abuses, uh, present the facts objectively, just lay them out there for the American people to see and understand and draw their own conclusions. And then we've got to come forward with reforms to ensure that this kind of abuse never happens again. That's the only way we're going to be able to restore the people's trust in, in government is if you make the government work for the people again instead of the other way around. Um, one, one quick example, you know, that came out of our first hearing of the Weaponization Select Committee on Thursday of last week, um, you know, that w- one, of the, one of the whistleblowers in the FBI had been an agent for 33 years, and he identified one of the root problems. He said, uh, over the last several years, the power at the FBI has been gradually concentrated into the hands of a handful of leaders at the very top at FBI headquarters. And he said in previous decades and generations, that that power was distributed broadly amongst the field officers and the field offices and agents out throughout the country. And he said that was kind of a system of checks and balances because it allowed multiple levels of review and scrutiny and, and criticism inside the agency so that abuses would not happen. 
And so that, that's a very practical thing I think that we're going to be moving towards is recommending the, the decentralization of authority because centralizing power like that is always a, a crisis, always has been. It creates the, the prospect for that. So we've got to fix it. We've got to reverse it. All right. So last question, because we have all of these events that are right here in front of us, but in the background, Congress is still in the middle of the debt ceiling fight. And it really becomes kind of an important issue that we're not, I mean, again, we're distracted by balloons, we're distracted by the intelligence community, the FBI, but this is a pretty big issue that's boiling under the surface. Can you tell us kind of real quick, uh, where do we stand on the debt ceiling fight and where are you hoping that we can go? We're in the midst of negotiations, and, and let's let's be clear about this. This is nothing new. This happens every time there's a a need to raise the debt limit, and conservatives like me are always uh, trying to advocate for fiscal responsibility, and we understand that our country has a $31.5 trillion federal debt right now. We have eclipsed GDP. We, in other words, the debt is greater than our entire gross domestic product. And that's a scary thing. We've not been in this situation since World War II. So it's not a sustainable trajectory, and, and government cannot continue to, to act irresponsibly. So we're using the debt limit uh, and, and the necessity of raising it as an occasion to force this debate. Because if you don't force it in Washington, it'll never happen. So we're not going to touch Social Security. We're not going to touch Medicare. What we're trying to do is shore up the foundations of those programs. We're certainly not going to limit defense spending because we can't. We're living probably the most dangerous time since World War II. Uh, so, so there are other areas that are up for negotiation and, and discussion about uh, trying to, to live within our means. We're going to raise the debt limit. We always will. We're not going to default on, the, on America's uh, debts. Uh, but we've got to change the trajectory going forward and how we do our budgeting. And that's what conservatives like me are going to be standing strong to do in the, in the coming weeks. Congressman Mike Johnson representing Louisiana's 4th Congressional District. I appreciate you coming on and giving us this information. I hope to have you on the air again with us soon. I look forward to it, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. All right. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll have a short segment coming back, then get to our bottom-of-the-hour news break, and then uh, more coming up here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5. KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to be on the program with me or send a message through the KPL app chat, would love to hear from you all there. Uh, thanks again to Congressman Mike Johnson, who joined me for that last segment. Bit of a longer segment, but there were a lot of questions to ask. And frankly, just not enough time to get everything he needed to roll out a little bit early. So uh, going to have him back on. He 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 knows his stuff, and I want to continue uh, to have him. And I'm, I'm working on getting some more congressmen from around the country because I want you guys to to not just get the, the, the perspective from here, but what these other congressmen and women are doing. Uh, let's go to the phone lines now. We've got Mike on the line. Mike, how are you? Not bad. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for calling in. What you got for me? Well, it's all, all. Everyone in the media is constantly talking about what they're going to do. This balloon and all this stuff. What? It's absolutely treason when you allow your your number one adversary access to fly over your military sites, knowing that they're there and not taking any action prior to them entering our airspace. That's number one. Number two, we keep talking about these these. Uh, raising the limit, the ceiling, 
why don't they get any type of cuts? Why don't they reduce anything in the negotiations to make those? Because for the, for the past 10 times, it always gets raised, but there's never any cuts. I mean, this is this is all business as normal in Washington, D.C. It is. Nothing it, is changing. It is, and, and he, he basically said as much. Now, on the debt ceiling issue, one of the things that those conservatives who stood up to McCarthy's uh, speakership, one of the things they were fighting for was to prevent top-down legislation that would do these clean debt raises. They want at least to put on the table, and this is part of the negotiations now, they want to put on the table some cuts, and the Republicans are getting attacked for it. Uh, you know, they, they keep saying the things about cutting Medicare and, and, and Social Security and all that, but the fact of the matter is the Republicans are trying to put cuts on the table so we aren't constantly having to just a clean debt ceiling limit. We're, we're going to probably have to raise it, but the Republicans are fighting hard in the House to make sure that we get significant cuts so we're not having to raise as much and we don't have to keep doing that. Mike, thank you very much for the call. We've got to take this break. When we come back, more of your news of the day here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Uh, so the podcast edition of this show will be uh, available as normal, full full show uh, you can check that out at joecunninghamshow.substack.com later this evening. Uh, but the uh, the interview with Congressman Mike Johnson, I'm going to have that up at redstate.com later tonight uh, because I want to get uh, that interview out to as many people as possible because I want I want the folks to to hear what Congressman Mike Johnson has to say on a lot of these very important issues, including the the weaponization of of federal agencies, because that is a big, big issue that we've talked about here before. And we're probably going to continue to talk and not, you know, not just within the next two years and it suddenly gets solved. We're, we're looking at an issue that is systemic. It's very deeply rooted into, into the federal government. It's going to take a while to kind of, to, to root this out, to, to, to get it out. So I hope that the congressman and his allies in Congress are able to to really get the ball rolling on that. Now, speaking of federal agencies, I want to talk about the Department of Transportation. Pete Buttigieg is out there today. uh, And he's trying to deflect blame. Uh, He responded to. A uh, he responded to a a Ted Cruz tweet about uh, you know Ted Cruz agreed with Ilhan Omar that there needs to be an investigation into what's going on. Uh, he he tweeted this was yesterday. So Ted Cruz fully agreed with Ilhan Omar, who on Twitter said the East Palestine Railroad derailment will have significant negative impact on the health and well-being of residents for decades, and there's almost zero national media attention. We need congressional inquiry and direct action from Pete Buttigieg to address this tragedy. Ted Cruz, quote, quote, treated, Ted Cruz, quote, tweeted that with just the words, fully agree. Buttigieg responded on Twitter, glad to see newfound bipartisan agreement here. We could start by discussing immediate steps Congress could take to address rail safety and reduce constraints on USDOT in this area. Give us a call. We can do some good work. Now, he is getting blasted for that, for trying to pass the buck 
And to an extent, that is kind of part of what's going on here. But it is the responsibility of Congress to give power or take away power. But consider that we need to probably actually get Congress to shut down the Department of Transportation until we figure out why it took Mayor Pete a week to say anything about what is clearly an unmitigated environmental disaster here. And then just a little while ago, uh, Buttigieg was... Uh, he was conducting a television interview, and he had this to say. And I want you to uh, listen. Look, rail to safety is something that uh, uh, that has evolved a lot over the years, but there's clearly more that needs to be done because uh, while this uh, horrible situation ha- has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year of a train derailing. Uh, look, rail safety is something that, uh, uh, that has that evolved again. a lot over I, I the years, want you to understand this last bit. more that needs to be done, because uh, while this uh, horrible situation ha- has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year. You get that? Oh, yes, this is a terrible situation. But, you know, there's 1,000 derailments. There's 1,000 train crashes a year. You know... I don't have a whole lot of love for, for Bill Cassidy. I know that Moon is a big fan of, of Cassidy, but I'm not so much. But Cassidy was was very instrumental in, in really rallying whatever Republicans he could around Joe Biden's signature infrastructure bill. And, you know, we had this major derailment in East Palestine. Uh, we had earlier today. We had another train derailed, and there were toxic chemicals on board there. This was in Michigan. Let me see if I can – I forget where in Michigan it was. Uh, But, again, another train derailed, this one in Michigan. We have – we had a a truck that shut down the Doosan exit because it overturned and spilled, what, acrylic acid? And that was a, a major mess that had to be cleaned up. In Arizona, there was a truck that was carrying, I think, nitric acid that had to be cleaned up. And that was a huge hazmat situation. Not too long ago, we had a massive digital infrastructure failure at the FAA that shut down flights across the country and caused untold economic damage there. All the money we put into that infrastructure bill... Why isn't it going to these railroads that are apparently having a thousand train derailments or crashes a year? Why aren't we putting that into updated digital infrastructure at the FAA? Why aren't we doing that to make sure that the way we transport these dangerous chemicals is actually safe? And how does the guy who is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, suddenly make the leap to presidential candidate to Secretary of Transportation for the United States government. This is a guy who was in over his head. He was wholly unqualified and unprepared for the job, and it's showing. It took him a week, a week, from the time the train derailed on February 3rd to February 10th, Pete Buttigieg did two things of note. One, he was here in Louisiana to tout the construction projects that would ultimately build a new Calcasieu River Bridge. The other thing he did 
was attend a conference to talk about racist white people and how the infrastructure is inherently racist because white people did all this city planning and all these road plannings to make sure that minority communities were disaffected. That's what he's done. He was utterly silent on this economic disaster in East Palestine. He is uh, silent on the uh, derailing in Michigan. He was silent on uh, on these trucks. He was silent on the port issue. I mean, for God's sake, our ports were closed and ships carrying uh, goods and supplies could not get into U.S. ports because of labor issues. That is a Department of Transportation issue. Mayor Pete was off on paternity leave and nobody knew to, nobody knew where he was. He had disappeared. Just talked with Congressman Mike Johnson about faith in institutions. How can you have faith in the federal government when the guy who's supposed to be in charge of all of these things isn't there? You know, the comedian Lewis Black always joked that Dick Cheney was, you never saw Dick Cheney. He never really made public appearances. Kind of an exaggeration, everything, but you know, you had the heart problems and everything that kind of played into the jokes and all. But everybody's like, where's Dick Cheney? Dick Cheney's not around. Now, to be fair, Dick Cheney was in the background because most conservative activists in the early 2000s were going to Dick Cheney to try to get him to talk Bush out of some of the more centrist or moderate positions Bush wanted to hold and some of the appointments he wanted to make and things like that. But So Dick Cheney was there. He just wasn't seen out in public. But seriously, this... You know, Pete Buttigieg made the rounds uh, before the State of the Union address to tout Joe Biden's State of the Union, his record of success. He'd talk nothing about transportation. He disappeared again. There was a train that derailed, created an environmental disaster, nowhere to be seen. And now he's back more than a week after that. To try to say, well, you know, I need Congress to to give me some leeway and I I I. You know, there's a thousand train derailments a year. Get to it. Ask for the money. Say what you need, what projects you need to do. Show us how we're going to update our rail systems, things like that. Kamala Harris disappears just as often. She comes out, cackles about astronauts and Venn diagrams, and then runs away again. We'll see her again in two weeks, probably. It is mind-blowing that there's this level of incompetence among a presidential administration because it's so filled with people who got diversity points but had no real expertise in the jobs they were hired for. And the Biden administration is suffering for it, but more importantly, you and I are suffering for it. You and I, American citizens, are now looking at massive systemic failures in U.S. infrastructure, and it's affecting our communities because the Biden administration is filled with people wholly unequipped to deal with any of these actual disasters. And it's mind-blowing. It really and truly is. I did not have, just because of my partisan leanings and because of what I saw out of Joe Biden during the campaign, I did not have any high hopes 
for the Biden administration. It was a very low bar. And they still can't reach it. And now there are still more whispers coming out from Democrats behind the scenes like, man, his age is really showing. Well, no, I can't say the word I want to say. No, duh. His age is a problem. He's short tempered. He gets testy with reporters. He gets testy with staff. He is not able to take the 2 a.m. phone call. He's not able to deal with these issues that Americans are facing day in and day out. He has no idea how to connect with the American people. He became the president because he wasn't the other guy. And it's showing. What we're now seeing consistently is an administration that is wholly unprepared. And there is no solution because they they don't have any interest in trying to do better. They came in with a specific agenda. Punish Republicans, demonize Republicans. And oh yeah, I guess we got to try to fix the economy and fix the environment. Emphasis on the environment. They want to do as much as they can to make it look like they're fixing the economy, but things aren't getting any better. They are ill equipped to deal with any of these issues. 232-1542. Let's take this last break. When we come back, your calls, your comments on the app, and a couple more stories of the day right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation. So a little while ago, a little while ago, news broke that a grand jury in Georgia was recommending indictments related to the 2020 election. There's a problem. The indictments won't be against Trump. There's another problem. The indictments are for perjury. There's another problem. They aren't indicting anybody. This grand jury is not a grand jury that will send out indictments. This is a grand jury that is meant to look through the evidence and see if there is anything for the actual grand jury in this investigation to recommend an indictment. So they are rec- this grand jury is recommending an indictment to another grand jury. And that grand jury will look at the evidence and ultimately decide if they want to go along with the indictment. It could be anywhere from like one to four people of the 75 that they interviewed. And I'm sorry for those of you really wanting to see Trump prosecuted. This ain't it, chief. You know my thoughts on Trump. I don't think he's I don't think he's going to get indicted. Sure, I don't agree with his comments on 2020 and the election. But of the 75 people that this grand jury interviewed, 
or actually that the prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, interviewed and then passed along that testimony to a grand jury. Of those 75 people, one to four of them may have committed perjury and they are recommending an indictment to the grand jury that will ultimately issue those indictments. None of those indictments would be to Trump. None of them would be to any elected official official in Georgia, it looks like. Originally, there was speculation that the head of the Republican Party in Georgia, uh, David Schaefer, might be one of them. His legal team is adamantly denying that he ever even spoke to the prosecutor. So there's no way that he would be one who would be uh, guilty of, or, or, or indicted for perjury. But the media hopped on it. Yes, indictments. Indictments and referrals. Yes, we're getting closer. It's nothing. It's nothing more than a waste of taxpayer money. They've gone through a lot of money. And at the end of the day, they're going to get really nothing from it. A couple people who committed perjury in testimony. Yeah, that's a serious crime. They were looking at six crimes. Among those crimes, perjury was the absolute least offensive. Conspiracy to commit election fraud, threatening elected officials, those were very serious charges. They didn't find any evidence of that in those interviews. Just perjury. So the investigations against Trump are going to continue. It will continue to be a distraction. It will continue to be a waste of taxpayer money in Georgia and around the country where a lot of these investigations are still rolling. Meanwhile, the work of government continues to go undone because you have incompetent people at the very top doing incompetent things. All right, y'all, I'm going to be out for the next 23 hours. I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, reach out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham, uh, Joe Cunningham Show, sorry, uh, or check me out, Substack, Joe Cunningham Show dot Substack dot com. Guess what? Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk. 96.5 KPL.